you know, I'm used to walking around all over this place. <laughs> That's how it's always been. And so it's kind of um, limiting. When I see I can only go from here to about here. <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> sure. Thank you, John. Um, it's all right. I'll, be, I'll manage without that. Um, our topic today is one that asks the question, how shall we grow? And, you know, it's not me, you know, trying to tell you how to grow because, you know, I've been growing. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's been tough not to grow during this time, especially when, you know, a lot of us are facing inactivity, yeah, thanks to COVID and all these other things that are bothering us, including monkeypox and I don't know what else is going to be coming. But the truth is, God expects that we would grow. So, Peter goes on uh, to describe to us. So what we are going to be doing is actually taking examples from Peter and understanding how he grew. And in the process of uh, this, hopefully, God will do something with our hearts. You know, that he will, he will move in us some thoughts, some things that will enable for us to capture something that's very personal and that is useful to us. And that's all I'm trying to do. I'm no preacher. Remember that, yeah, I've always referred to myself as the donkey, yeah? <laughs> and uh, whether the donkey brays or bites or kicks today, you're going to have to bear with this to a certain extent. Uh, of course, you could throw me out if you want to, but I pray that the Lord will use this donkey today, yeah? So, we come down to Second Peter, um, the first chapter, verses 3 to 8. Um, here you find Peter is talking about the growth of our faith. And here he talks about things like goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, um, and then godliness, mutual affection, and love, as he calls it. So you find he, he goes from faith to love. Yeah? Now, here, on the aspect of... Uh, uh, creating uh, a disciple, the Western side of, uh, you know, uh, of, of, of religion tends to place a student in a class and then you find you put in all the information that he needs into that person, you know, you, you keep giving him all this information and knowledge and then he ends up educated and the problem with that is there is this disobedient student. Lots of knowledge. You see a lot of this in life. Very well-educated people. You know, very well-educated people. But when you explore what's happening in their own personal lives, all kinds of things that shouldn't be are there. You know, recently you had in the news these two doctors, specialists, yeah, who exchanged sexually explicit, you know, messages about a patient out of all things, you know, between themselves. And, you know, the issue is up in the courts and the issue is up in front of the medical board uh, 
to decide what they're going to do with him. But this is the thing. We are talking about people who truly reflect in their lives, in what they do, the faith that they believe in. You know, that means if I absorb a fact, if I absorb something in my life and I find that I have not in actual fact believed it and put it into action, you know, the reality of it, then you find the truth of that matter is it, it didn't sink in at all, you know. What I told you is meaningless. What God has told you is meaningless if in your lives and if in mine as well, you know, somehow these things are not reflected. Yeah? So, the person who, <laughs> who mentioned this, by the way, his name is Pastor Alan White. <laughs> Nothing to do with our E.G. White, but, you know, the pastor had that particular name and I was quite shocked to see that. Yeah? So, here we look at Peter, an impulsive individual who is self-confident, of course, and who is always what you call upfront. You know, he'd be the first one to say the word. He'd be the one that uh, steps forward if anything is being asked. Yeah, That individual undergoes change. That change to become a disciple truly is something that happens because the key to discipleship is not a process of proclamation. The key is a disciple. A disciple. Why did Peter change? Peter changed not because of all the information that he gathered, but he changed because he met Jesus Christ. And that's the core of all of the things that happened in Peter's life. And so today, as we explore some of these things, Let's remember that what caused change in Peter's life is actually the experience that he had, you know, at uh, what you call at a very personal level. Now, let's take a look at the first instance uh, right here. We talk about that lake at Gennesaret. Jesus is preaching. He's talking to all of the people that are there. A crowd is gathered. And then you find he realizes they are, that they are pushing him towards the water and he needs to be a little away from them so that he can address all of them. And so he asked Peter whether he could use his boat. And so he got into the boat and asked Peter to go out a little bit and then from there he addressed the people. Now, the fact that Peter conceded and agreed and uh, allowed Jesus to use the boat is rewarded. Jesus rewards Peter. All night, remember these people, these fishermen have been fishing. All night, nothing came in their nets. And then, Jesus tells them, put out into the deep and let down the nets for a catch. Now, it sounds very stupid after you have actually what you call spend the entire night fishing and fishing and fishing and no fishes at all. And then Jesus, a carpenter, tells him or the, the fisherman to go fish. 
lo behold, the catch is so heavy that the nets begin to break. We need to see what Peter says. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. It's an acknowledgement. It's an acknowledgement. You see, this is the personal action that's happening. I don't know if each of us, in our own ways, I don't know whether we sit in this safe place where you find we don't want to explore beyond what we think is safe. You know, let's not go beyond this because, you know, it's the unforeseen. It's difficult for me to interpret. It's difficult for me to do anything at all in that area because I can't control it and so I will not go into this area. Peter isn't like that, yeah? And you realize that Peter, in all the things that he has done, in all of the things, we can laugh at Peter, but, you know, he has been growing. He has been growing because he's been testing. He's been testing the limits. You know, the other thing that I realized also when I was doing this, Peter's growth was because he tasted and saw that the Lord is good. He tasted. You know, if you don't taste, you're never going to get you know, I, I could talk to you about a lemon and orange or cake or anything like that unless you put it in your mouth and you sense it, you get a sensation that tells you what an orange, a lemon or a cake or whatever it is, you know. It has to be personal and that's what Peter has just experienced. Lord, I'm a sinful man. That's what it'll be when you accost God, yeah, if you do accost him. Peter learned something about the weakness of his self-confidence. This happens in the next incident. It also happens at the lake. <laughs> you know, funny that lake is really something that, uh, you know, generates a lot of uh, what you call stories, yeah, of growth. Jesus is preaching. He talks to all of the people, gives them the message. And finally, he tells his disciples, hey guys, get into the boat, get over to the other side, let me dismiss these people and then I will join you. Good thing. So you find the disciples get into the boat and they're off. And they're a good distance away from the shore. And you have winds. You have waves. And you find things are so difficult and they're against the wind, the boat's not moving forward. They are stuck in that spot. And they have been there that way for hours from what I can understand because Jesus dismisses all of the people and then Jesus goes up to pray to the mountainside. He finishes his prayer and all and then he goes to them. It's interesting how Jesus goes to them. You know, Jesus didn't need a boat, did he? <laughs> he walked on the water. He walked on the water. It was like as if it was land. Can you imagine this thing? I, I, I can't imagine putting my foot on water and hoping that the water will hold me up unless it's frozen ice or something, yeah? Um, truly, 
remarkable the story that we hear here. Jesus walks on the water and he goes to them. And these men are still struggling where? In the boat, right? They're still struggling. The wind is strong. I don't know if there was rain. But the waves were high. And then they see this figure coming towards them on the water. And immediately, of course, they say it's a ghost. Yeah? It's a ghost. And then Jesus says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, who, who would say this? Peter is <laughs> in the boat and he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. The Lord says, come. I want to rest on this for a bit. This is E.G. White's statement on Peter's experience. It says, walking side by side, Peter's hand in that of his master, they stepped into the boat together. Something transpired between the point at which Peter asked for the Lord to ask him to come to him. It takes a lot of courage. Can you imagine waves? Can you imagine a rough sea? Can you imagine a boat? I, you know, the number of times I've gone to Batam and you find, you know, the little sampan that you are in or the boat that you're in is so shaky, it's not a joke. Trying to keep your balance itself is a challenge. And then when you get to land, if boat's moving and the land seems to be moving and then you are trying to move across and it really is a challenge. I tell you, if someone told me to get out of the boat into the water, even if it was someone with authority, I don't think I would want to do that. Not in the middle of the sea. Yeah? Middle of a lake. Rough. So here you have fears inside, first and foremost, to overcome and get out of that boat into the water. And then, having got into the water, what happens next? How do I... How do I walk? You know, I, I, I can't make sense of this Peter at all. But because the Lord said, come, Peter takes courage and he steps out of the boat, puts his foot on the water, and he is walking towards Jesus. We may laugh because Peter sings. He says, Lord, help me. And this is where this part comes about, where Jesus grabs him. And they walk side by side, you know, with the master, he steps into the boat. I see growth. I see growth. Because, you know, nobody else in the boat, nobody else in the boat did this. We may laugh at Peter, but, you know, only he walked on the water. The men in the boat looked in awe. He's walking on the water. Yeah. That's all they could do because they didn't experience it. Peter now knows what it's like when the Lord makes the water solid under his feet. That's growth because Peter knows. It's growth when Peter learns 
that if he took his eyes off the Lord, the come is meaningless. Because even though he has called you, if you took your eyes off the Lord, if you took your eyes off the Lord, then the sinking is a part of the process. And that too was a growth as far as Peter was concerned. Walking hand in hand, side by side with the Lord into the boat. Oh, you of little faith. You know, oh, you of little faith. Growth again, you know, for Peter. Who goes home laughing? Peter goes home laughing. None of the others. But that is the choice that you and I have today. You know, we may decide that we want to stop this experience of God's power because it's pushing us to the edge, beyond our limits, in that you find we will be pushed to the situ a situation where we will decide maybe even to say, I give up, you know? But for any of this to occur, any growth to take place, we will have to take the first step. It not only involves mental acknowledgement of God's power, but requires us to take a step of action based on the assumption that God is trustworthy. Get your feet wet. God will do the rest. In the middle of the passage is this remarkable thing. Peter walked on water. Peter knew the joy and freedom of experiencing God's power after taking an enormous risk. And that's the truth. We think of the next incident that is a growth experience. The five loaves and two fishes. <laughs> you know the story. How you find 5,000 people were fed. And immediately after that, you know what everybody wanted to do? They wanted to crown him as king because you know what? In their minds, they are thinking of Moses. 40 years. Moses was instrumental in bringing them through the desert. And then for 40 years, there was manna because Moses was interceding for them and God was being merciful and he was providing them food. And I said, wow, you know, growing la. Yeah? God provides. Grow la. Prosperity, so to speak. Yeah? 40 years. So, you know, as far as the rabbinical thought was at that time, you find they were thinking that the Messiah would come and he would be similar to Moses. Repetition of the same old SOS, yeah? Same old stuff. But that's what they wanted. But you know, Christ was giving them his body, himself, a sacrifice. Eat me, he was saying. Of course, you know, the first time I read that statement, eat my body, you know, his flesh, drink his blood. I said, wow, so gaudy, yeah? You know, that's, you know as, as someone that was a, a, a Hindu, reading this, it really put me off to a certain extent until I got to understand and there was growth that Christ was talking about his flesh as the redemption for each one of us, you know, his blood to cover all of our sins. And really it makes such a difference. So Christ was talking spiritual, 
And what were the people thinking of? They were thinking of um, mamam, yeah, mamam. And so if I'm fed, I'm happy. Christ wasn't talking about that. And said they wanted to make him king. And so he disappeared. He disappeared from amongst them, withdrew. And you find there was a major problem. A lot of the people couldn't understand this. He tries explaining. You, you, you can go to the book of John and you can read you know, about all of these things that transpired and happened. He's trying to explain even to his disciples and nobody could understand what he was saying. How could you? How could you? You know, you were supposed to be the Messiah. But then here you are, withdrawing from, you know, becoming the king. How can it be? And so, we come to this part where Jesus is asking his own disciples and he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Because many, many, many who were followers of Christ left. They left. So here, Peter speaks up. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know. Growth. Growth. Do we believe? Do we know? I, you know, even till recent you find I was looking at the things that were happening in people's lives, in my own life, and also, you know, in the things we are experiencing in the world today. There's so much of prayer that's going out and God doesn't seem to be doing anything about some of these things. Some things we seem to get a reply and it seems like, yeah, or was it all coincidence? Do we really know? Do we believe? I don't know. But Peter says, we believe and know. You know, he was able to touch Jesus. He was there in contact with Jesus. Do we have a similar opportunity today to have contact with Jesus? Can we avouch to such a thing? Are we able to stand up and say, yes, I met him today? Of course, this is warning. If you hear people tell you, oh, he's out in the desert, or in that room, or here, or there, don't believe that. There are false prophets that will arise in the last days and they will try deceive you. But then again, can anyone deprive you of an experience with the Lord? That something happens in your life and then you come away from it with the feeling that the Lord's been there with you through that. In the recent, we have had a case of a boy. I think you might have seen it um, in the uh, YouTube, an Adventist boy who was having his baptism and you find as he was coming out of the pool, the microphone stand and the mic touched him around the neck and he was electrocuted, fell into the water, drowned. And it has been several weeks, you're looking at going about a month two months now, the Lord has recovered the boy. You know, there were so many times when you find we were not sure that he would survive the day. That's how bad it was. That's how bad it was. 
because you find he was not only electrocuted, he drowned as well. And for 40 minutes, they were trying to revive him. Can you imagine what it's like when your brain is deprived of oxygen for so long? Yeah. But today, he's discharged from the hospital. He's at home, in recovery still. But you know what? There's a lot more for him to go. Sometimes you ask the Lord, why Lord? The boy made a good decision. Wasn't it good that he decided that he will be baptized for you? Why did you allow this to happen? I really don't know. There are things like this that bother each one of us. And if we don't believe and know the Lord, that he will not cause something to happen like this, unless he has a purpose and a reason, unless we know, we will end up in a situation which is despair. Yeah? So, Mark 8.31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And look at verse 32. Peter took him aside. He took him aside and then he rebukes him. <laughs> he says, what are you talking? Why are you saying these things? The acceptance of the fact that he was the suffering saviour. It's very difficult to accept this concept. If your saviour suffers, hmm, would it be that you may have to suffer too? Wow, such a revelation. Would you assent to suffer? Would you say, it's okay, Lord. Let him kick me once, twice. Oh, yes. Did he not say, oh, if someone slaps you, give him the other cheek. So, I mean, what do you make of these things? Do you know and believe? Would you allow for this to happen? I mean, or, or, or would you resist? So where do you stand with the Lord? I think these are vital questions because these are all the growth factors that we are talking about. Do you know what's inside of you? <laughs> I must tell you of an incident in Indonesia. You know, we stayed in Kamang. It's a small house, not a very big one, but then we could bring the car in and park and the gate could be locked. One morning about, uh, I think, 2.30, 3 o'clock, somewhere thereabouts, there's a lot of noise on the outside, on the road. And so, of course, you're curious. We came out, went up to the gate, and we're saying, what happened? Wait a minute. So the neighbor, the opposite house, thieves had gotten in. These were not thieves that were getting into the house, but they were stealing from the car. You know? So they had gotten into the car, and they had practically stripped everything in the car that they could take. And you know, they're doing this so quiet. Nobody notices. But someone that particular day got up to go to the bathroom at the right time. <laughs> and they saw what was happening and they dashed down and these guys made an exit. So we went down from our house. So we went to the gate. The car is just beside us. And we're asking them what happened. And then they explain and all. And then, you know, they... All the commotion subsided because the guys had already run away. And then we sort of went back up to the bedroom to sleep. 
And then we hear commotion again. We come down only to realize that our car, which we had stood beside all this time and we were talking, there was a guy inside the car and he was dismantling stuff. And while we were there, he was doing his business too. And we didn't even know because our eyes, our eyes were on the other house where the action was. We didn't realize the action in our own place, inside, inside us. What's happening inside us? Can we be truthful in church? Can we share, you know, the difficulties we face, that I face? Can I share it with you? You know, some of these things that I face and I go through are difficult. Difficult in the sense that I can't just talk this to anybody. There are temptations. There are things that cannot be spoken to everyone in general, but I need to talk to someone. Can we actually be a sharing church? Would we be able to bring this out and talk to each other about this? And then, you know, you pray for me, I pray for you. And then something is happening. That's where this aspect of discipleship comes into. And that's what we were talking about, you know, a disciple. A disciple becomes a disciple because of a disciple. It means to say, the conversion factor is not the knowledge that we could be pushing into someone. It's not the knowledge. It never is the knowledge. It is the person. And if I'm not convincing, if Jesus is not convincing for us to believe him, then you know what? We will never know. We will never know. And so, Peter rebukes him. Jesus is disappointed, of course. Out of my sight, Satan. Now, it's not like as if Jesus is saying that uh, Peter is Satan. No, 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 no. He still wants to work with Peter. But he knows that behind this, that Peter said, behind him is Satan. And that is the thing that Jesus got, because this was part of his temptations. Right after the point at which he was baptized and he was brought for the temptation, Satan was trying to do this to him. And the very same thing was happening now, and Jesus catches this. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Mamam. Simon, Simon. In Luke 22, 31, we see Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift all. It's not just Peter. It's all of them. Every one of them. Every one of us. Satan has asked to sift all of us as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back. You know, this is the part. When you have turned back. When you have turned back. It tells me that there's a fall. And it tells me that each one of us, as we are going through this walk in life, will have temptation, may fall. May fall. We may come into church like as if we are, you know, wonderful people. But I tell you the truth, the truth you and I know that's in our hearts, which may not be spoken, the truth is that we are fallible. Anytime, 
In fact, the scripture tells you that just when you think you are standing, you have already fallen. You have already fallen. That is where we are. And so, Christ tells him, when you have turned back, you know, he is so gracious, such a merciful God, a person falls and you accept him. Hmm. Reminds me of the prodigal son. Reminds me of so many other characters in the scripture, people who have fallen. In fact, you know, what is church? Church is a bunch of fallen people coming together to worship this merciful God, you know, strengthen your brethren. That's what it's about. You know, oftentimes you find when one of us fall, we're good for gossip. <laughs> good for gossip. You know, the news spreads. But who goes back laughing? <laughs> who goes back laughing? The person that fell. Because you know why? He comes back, strengthened. We talk about this other incident now, the rooster crowing. Famous incident. Peter weeps and he cries. He breaks down because... The instant he denied the Lord, you know, the third time and the cock crew, the second time, exactly what Jesus said would happen. Jesus looked at him. You know, for a long time I thought that that look was, ah, Peter. You know, that kind of look. But you know, what Ellen White has written describes the fact that the look was a look of mercy, of love. Peter, didn't I tell you, you're going to do this? You said you won't deny me. You said if everybody left even, I will be here for you. And there you are. You know, you are fallible. He broke down and wept. And truly, there are so many things in our lives where we need to break down and weep. Sometimes we are so stubborn, you know, so strong that we refuse to allow the Lord to break us, you know. We have little Jared with us, you know, uh, Junior's son. He's like a grandson for us, you know. He spends four days of the week with us. And the other three, he's with his father and mother in Tempanese. And during the time that he's here, it's really wonderful watching this child develop and grow. There are things that you could ask him to do, like you could ask him to say a sorry. <laughs> he will never, he will never say a sorry. Because somewhere in his mind, he knows that saying a sorry is humiliating for himself. Little child, can you imagine, you know? I couldn't say that he's stubborn. It's just that he's persistent. You know, that's the word, persistent. When I go towards my room and he senses that I'm going to my room, if I see him dashing out, I know <laughs> he's been up to something at my table. He would have rearranged my table. I know the keyboard, the mouse, and everything else. And there was one incident where he nearly bought for me windows, you know, on the on, online because it was the last click 
that he needed to do it. I don't know how he got there, but these are the things you know, that we see. A mischief that is part of the growth. If you try to deny yourself, you know, if you try to deny yourself, you will live a clean life probably, but you will be like the prodigal's brother who was inside, yet he was outside. You know, we need to take chances. We have to learn to be a people that will trust God no matter what. And that is the crux of what all of this is about. Simon Peter, do you truly love me? John, do you truly love me? Salo, do you love me? Can you imagine Christ asking us, each one, this very same question? And you know and I know there's enough reason for him to ask this question, you know, because the things that have happened in our lives, oftentimes we tend to sweep aside and just move on. But, you know, it's very important that we respond to this. Do we truly love the Lord? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Ellen White says this, because of his humiliation and repentance, Peter was better prepared than ever before to act as shepherd to the flock. Whoa, wait a minute. What does it talk about deacons? What does it talk about elders? There's certain specifications, you know, does this throw all of that out? Wait a minute. It's those experiences where you have recovered and lifted yourself to the Lord, returned to Him, that make you qualified to be the shepherd. So, Ellen White puts it this way, higher than the highest human thought can reach is God's ideal for His children. God-likeness, godliness, is the goal to be reached. Notice the thing in yellow. It is important to notice, she adds, an education that cannot be completed in this life, but will be continued in the life to come. That means to say, uh, you and I are never going to achieve so-called perfection. Yeah? It's not, it's not going to happen. Not here. So you and I will be fallible people. You and I will be you know, experiencing all of these funny things and we'll be asking the Lord all those funny questions. We will be going back to the Lord and fighting with Him because we cannot understand some of the things that He does. That's the reality. But you know what? The Lord isn't going to just throw you out and walk away. He has made a commitment to you. Yours is a calling. God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or clean, or impure or unclean. And you know what this growth for Peter was? You know, the Gentiles were never accepted. You and I are Gentiles, by the way. You know, this religion never accepted Gentiles. But God showed Peter that he should not put people out that he, God accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know, growth again. Sometimes you find you and I, we are so narrow. We sit within this Adventist, you know, uh, column and then we refuse to look out 
to see that God is working with that person too, you know. So, Desiring God, John Piper, pastor, asks this interesting rhetorical question. He says, is it possible to experience the miraculous works of God and not understand what is going on? You know, you read the scripture and you look at all the ways in which he's working with people. You know, God is not looking at your knowledge. He is just looking at whether you accept him or not. So you may have all of the knowledge in the world. You may be able to teach Bible like crazy, you know. But at the end of the day, if you don't know the Lord, that you don't know enough to believe. You know, it's kind of sad, but that is the truth. And so he answers his own question by saying, it is possible to be poorly taught about conversion and yet be genuinely saved. You know, I, I don't say that he's an authority, but I do say that he does make sense. Yeah, he does make sense. So how shall we grow? Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I guess the Lord has spoken in each one of your hearts, and He knows where you are with Him, and He knows exactly what He has said. I don't know what He has said. I'm just sharing what Peter went through. And I'm praying that somewhere along the line, in today, that you have found something there for you to move with. So, we have our comfort zone, and then it's one step. We have to put our legs over the boat, you know, the edge of the boat, the side of the boat, into the water. And then, having done that, you need to lift the other leg out and you need to put that forward, you know. And it goes on that way because if you can't stop here, you need to go on. But what, what do we need to do? We need to keep our eyes on the Lord. Keep our eyes on the Lord. Don't worry about where this next foot is going to be. I, I'm, I'm not even sure there's going to be anything solid there. But the Lord knows how to make it solid enough for you to move on. And so step by step by step, every step of faith will bring you not to a comfort zone, but to an area where you cannot predict, you cannot control. I don't know whether you're ready to allow that to happen. But that is the growth that God's asking for. I pray that the Lord will lead you and touch you in very special ways because we are living in very unusual times. Today, let the Spirit speak to you. May God add His blessings to our short message today. God bless. Shall we all rise for a hymn of response? Until then.
Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you have taught us today. Father, we come to you to ask for your leading, to ask for your blessing, to ask for you to be in our midst, that in the totality of our lives, we know that you are working. And because you are, Lord, we know that one day we will be with you. Help us, Father, that with us there will be many more that come. Because, Lord, each of them is touched by you in us. Dismiss us now, Father. Grant that as each of us go our way, that, Lord, you will be beside us. Help us walk beside you, Father hand in hand, that, Lord, when the time comes, that we will go with the knowledge that you are with us. Thank you, Father, for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>